Happy Hanukkah! Merry Christmas! I got you something. Well, I got you eight somethings. Open yours first. <gasps> A Quija board! For me? Thanks! Now open yours. All right, but I'm gonna open up all eight of them. No! All right. A Quija planchet piece. 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 Blue. You know what to do. A Quija planchet. Let's play Quija. What do you want to ask her? Quija board. Do you think my mom will get me a remote control car this year? Animal vivisection. Your turn. Is this the year that we finally get world peace? The blood from a baby. Are you moving this? No, I don't know how to spell crucifixion. Are you? I'm not allowed to say G-D. All right, let's try one more. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? You know it. Are, Are me, me and Greg Daniel ever going to become Siamese twins? In the jungle, you must wait until the dice read five or octo. What? Dominguez Terragota Alta Cesar. Oh, God, he's going to make me edit this out. Hey, I can say go. Welcome to episode 13. How do I play the theme song? Season's creepings, Harry Christmas, Flappy Hanukkah like a bat, <laughs> the festival of frights, it begins. And to think everybody threw their pumpkins away. No. You decorate that pumpkin with Christmas tree lights. I've kept them all in my refrigerator. <laughs> all of your pumpkins, they're in my house. Pregnant with opportunity. And crickets. <laughs> uh, welcome to our second year, Creepy Christmas, Christmas Haunted, Haunted Hanukkah, Hanukkah Part Boo. You've been waiting since last year to say, like, you came up with it the day after we, we came up with the last I one. Was, I came up with it before we recorded the first one. <laughs> the only reason we did the first one is so I could say that. If you're unfamiliar with the format, uh, you will be given three questions. <laughs> if you can't answer them properly, we know where you live. Well, and your bloodline. Tonight. Like last year, we both have three stories, each three one. Three stories. Three stories. Like, scream. <laughs> Um, like Scream 3. Like Scream 3. Um, uh, each one of them involves a haunted... Or I, 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 as in I, I, I. These are spooky. Oh my spooky. god, I want to push you out of a window. <laughs> Actually, that's coming up later. Oh. <laughs> I'm pushing you out of a window at the end of this episode. <laughs> There's going to be a new host. We each picked haunted locations in Los Angeles. We try to keep it as unknown as possible. But haunted we, or just creepy. strange. I actually only have two tonight. The other one was something I was very interested in. So I uh, I went ahead and I took a field trip by myself and I thought I'd report to everybody. Yeah, That's Cre not coming out of our payroll. Gas. I bought flowers. <laughs> I saved receipts. I bought gas to pour on the, <laughs> on the graves. Flowers with which to ignite them. And then life insurance is going to pay out any day now. That poor old widow. After the fact life insurance, <laughs> the merry widow strikes again. <laughs> He's a very handsome guy. I guess I'll start us off then. Yep. 
Okay. And so in early November, John Schultz of the LA Times wrote an article titled, LA County Cemetery, Unclaimed Dead Await a Final Resting Place, <laughs> which of course I bookmarked, I read, and I rebookmarked. <laughs> and turned into a bookmark. <laughs> it was a very long bookmark. It's more than the book. The article uh, discusses a huge backlog of the unclaimed bodies at LA County Morgue, you know, them having to deal with it. It's almost three years behind now. They, they're barely like putting to rest people from 2011 because the backlog is so big. At the end of the article, they announced that a funeral would be held at the uh, county cemetery a month after the article was written, which I immediately took the day off for, <laughs> like on the spot just to attend. According to the article, around six bodies will show up every day at the county morgue. As the bodies come in, the county cemetery caretaker and crematory operator named Mr. Gaskin, respectively, writes their information in by hand into the register. The ledger, which he enters... In blood. <laughs> whatever's left of it. The ledger in which he enters the name now has like a thousand pages, and many of those entries have blank spots over the part of who's going to sign to claim the body. Many of them are going unclaimed. No one's, no one's signing off. Can anybody claim it? I don't know. I don't think so. I think you have to be responsible. Why would you go and claim... House party. You've always wanted to do that uh, Weekend at Bernie's remake. <laughs> Home Alone defense tactics. <laughs> the smallest book, which is titled A Register of Burials, dates from January 1st, 1896 to April 30th, 1902. That's the first book that was put together. Mm-hmm. Recent books contain about a decade's worth of names. The first cremation in the latest book was recorded October 29th, 2005. Those cremated today are added near the back of the ledger. So the current one has 261 pages in it. The names of those cremated are backlogged to like about 2011. That's where they're barely getting to right now. Alley County has, since 1896, conducted burials in a common grave for the remains of those died who went unidentified or unclaimed. Mr. Gaskin helps take care of the cremations, the ashes, and the book for the unclaimed dead. He's responsible for all of that. I've seen a lot of pictures online. I didn't see them at the funeral, though, so... Mm. Mm, suspicious. I guess he doesn't care so much about them. I guess this is how it works. He picks up the bodies from hospitals and takes them to the crematory in Boyle Heights, which is part of the morgue or the county hospital. The ashes to be buried this year belong to the old and the young. About two-thirds are men. More than half of those people are white. 137 are babies. Some are stillborn. Other lived for a really short time. And instead of putting them in a, a brown plastic boxes that hold like adult remains, baby ashes are stored in small paper bags that are neatly folded. They, like they, somebody's lunch? Like somebody's lunch, yeah. Oh, God. And they said it kind of like a, like a trifold that sort of looks like a wallet because there's not a lot of remains. The face. That's... When a body ends up at the crematory, Gaskin places a wide board about five feet long, then puts it onto a metal gurney and wheels into the furnace room. Gaskin takes a long metal pole with a flat T top, so it has like the cross. He puts the top of the pole against the shoulder of the, the dead body, and then together with another guy, they slide the body into a brick furnace. The furnace like slides... A, like a, they're making a calzone? <laughs> sort of. Could they do this any more respectfully? <laughs> Heave him in! <laughs> we gotta get him in before the mushrooms cook. Into the hot shoot. They have a picture of them doing this, too. Oh, it was God. part of the article. It's um, it's the two guys just shoving something into a big boiler. That's horrifying. Yeah, and then the furnace's door slides down. Normal person. It's awful. I mean, cremation's awful in general. I mean, it's not awful. I just... It terrifies me. You're just jealous. We've all seen that scene in Return of the Living Dead when he when he does it to himself. And this, this is not unpleasant. They close the furnace doors. From that door, they're hanging a little metal tag with a cremation number of the person that they just uh, incinerated. Uh, this lists the tag number, the dates of the cremation, and the cremation permit in the ledger. The name comes next along with the date of birth, the sex, the race, and the date of death. So that's pretty much the 
cremation process if you're curious it's so curious if relatives can be found they are notified by the morgue or the coroner that their loved one's body is available for pickup by the mortuary body if, or body's a symbolic term right it's symbolic well i mean it's before your baby-sized wallet and a lunch bag <laughs> is ready to be picked up before they before they do this to anybody i'm sure they want to make sure with the family like oh hey you want to pick this guy up right <laughs> you didn't want this did you because we turned it into the powder he turns it into abuelitas. <laughs> this is the worst conversation I've ever had. <laughs> I would accept it if this episode got cursed and deleted like last year. <laughs> it would be totally justified by it the spirits. Be. Yeah, it would be. If a family can't afford the mortuary fees, the court handles cremation. The cost is usually about $352 for a case handled by the coroner, $466 for anything else other than that. So it's it's kind of a really hard process. Although that, that must be paid before the ashes can be taken. In some cases, a family can ask a county supervisor to waive the fee. I don't know what that... I don't know how hard that is to do. I couldn't really find that out. Maybe it's like fighting a parking ticket. So you have to pay up front, fight it online. Get two uh, witnesses to write a letter. Poor, poor witnesses had <laughs> to then, take time out of their day. And then while that body's rotting, eventually... <laughs> You'll get your Ooh, $30. rigor mortis. <laughs> the idea of unclaimed bodies just terrified me. I don't know why it was so unsettling to read this article. I think I actually know you're going to hear shortly where those bodies are in this uh, sort of middle ground process. You mean the afterlife? Are we talking middle ground process? Like I have a little li- book here. Purgatory? <laughs> this might tell you everything you need to know about what's eventually coming on. <laughs> It's called Deuteronomy. Speaking of, of unclaimed bodies, you know, the, the reasons why no one picked them up vary. Some people are homeless, some were drug addicts, and they kind of distanced them from their families. <laughs> In some cases, it's just, you know, the family's kind of broke and they, they can't afford it. The cost of a private burial was just, just way too expensive, so they, they, there's nothing you could do. Dump them in the... Dump them. Sh- let the city take care yeah, of them. Yeah, like, like trash. <laughs> they had a story in one of the articles about a, a man who came to California on a train and he passed away. And it, I think it was his son or the next of kin was just on the other side of the country and he had not enough money to do so. He just had to let it. He had to let his family member just like, okay, well, you got him now. Great. Treat him with respect. Never take a trip anywhere. <laughs> Don't leave. <laughs> Please. So in some cases, family members are just interested in getting the death certificate because it gives them access to the property and the bank accounts and life insurance. For others, there's no relatives can be found. They go unidentified. They can't reach anybody. So it should, they just sit there in the morgue. Their ashes are there in a big pile. One article from 2009 relates the large number of unclaimed bodies to the recession that had just begun to affect people at a time and how the next of kin couldn't afford it. Like that, it, They say it, the it's a direct... Because the number of, in the last five years or six years, I guess, really, really boosted up. Like it went from like a hundred to like a thousand. It says here. Sorry, well, if it says there. Well, if it says there, by late last month, of the one thousand eight hundred sixty-eight dead who ended up in a crematory in two thousand eleven, only four hundred and forty had been claimed. That's a giant number. They're relating that sort of to the recession. I don't know if that's true or not. Always just, blaming the recession. It's always something. So. I read this article. I was very interested. So on December 10th at the Evergreen Cemetery in Boyle Heights, I went to the funeral, which they held. (laughs) If you couldn't get that I was getting to that, I got to it. So the ashes of 1,489 people were cremated in 2011. That's about, what, four years, three years ago? About four. About four. If you're going, uh, you know, 
by math. Yeah. They were buried in a, they, they like to call it a common grave. I call it a mass grave <laughs> under a small headstone that read 2011. The common graves of the county cemetery are all marked with the year that they died. So 2011, 2010, 2009. Uh, <laughs> it takes, they say, two years for that. Is there a yearbook photo of all of them? the meanest person I've ever met. It's all just different pictures of ashes. <laughs> Larry Moore. His quote. With respect to the Moore family, of course. Roger. Michael. Mandy. <laughs> that Billy Idol song, Moore. It's Moore. S apostrophe. <laughs> S apostrophe Moore. It takes two years for uh, Alley County to be able to move it from the ashes in the backlog to the cemetery and have a funeral for it. As the article promised, the funeral is mostly attended by local media and county employees. There also seemed to be a lot of people like myself who had read the LA Times article. Creeps. And, yeah, who creeps, exactly, <laughs> who came just to pay their respects because we're creepy. Although in the funeral announcement in the article, it said that the ceremony started at 9.30. When I arrived at 9.40 due to the parking, they made me park at the, the public cemetery right next door, which... It was, they separated. There's the public cemetery, and then the very corner, which is locked off separately, is the county side. I had to park on the public side, walk over, so I was about 10 minutes late. I also got flowers, too. Don't try to make yourself seem better. In that 10 minutes I was late, I seemed to miss a lot. As I approached the cemetery, one of the county workers who was guiding everybody towards the funeral was like, oh, you better hurry up. It's halfway done. I'm like, but I'm 10 minutes late. <laughs> how, is that, how is that true? I stopped on the corner of the cemetery and bought flowers, and uh, I was kind of in a rush because it was like 930 at that point. And I was like, whatever, whatever. And I got just a, a nondescript bundle of flowers that were just so colorful and gross looking. I'm like, okay, this, this is respectful, right? <laughs> I only got it because all these, flowers. every time I told a girl that I was going to a funeral, they're like, you should take flowers. I'm like, why? Do you know whose funeral I'm going <laughs> to? I don't. Do nobody does. There was about 100 people there. I tried finding a good spot, but there were so many photographers moving around and the cameraman and his general rubbernecks. And I'm so small. My, so my view wasn't that great. <laughs> Also, the priests leading the ceremony and all the speakers, they had a Buddhist speaker, a Jewish speaker, and a, some uh, Christian as well. A Christian speaker. A Christian speaker. They were all reading their own prayers. Nobody had microphones. Mm. And this wasn't like forest lawn where you're like high up in the hills <laughs> and separate, like elevated from street level. This was on the corner of two busy intersections. <laughs> And they were doing construction, so there was just teamsters talk. screaming at each other. <laughs> Here just... lies the beloved. Now move your eggs! <laughs> I'll tell you where you can park that forklift. Run your mother! <laughs> it kind of really was like that. There was cars honking. There was cars like Zoom, like just trying to make the light. There seemed to be construction like around the corner, so it just like like jackhammers. You heard planes. I, I couldn't hear oh, anything. Yeah, people in the graves trying to get <laughs> I really Claim like... me. I, I had to read the articles to know exactly what happened at the <laughs> event that I was at, which is really sad. Strange young boy seen mulling around mound of ashes. When I first started late. looking it up after it happened, like a two days after, I saw a photo of myself. Really? And I can't find it now. Oh, I'm you gotta so find how to put that. What I'm saying is I failed as a journalist. <laughs> from an article from the LA uh, Daily News, I was able to read some of what the priest, Father Chris uh, Ponet, was saying. This is what he said. Where was their meaning in life? Were they individuals with broken families or whatever brought them to this place? What gave them hope? What encouraged them? And especially at this moment when we remember the unclaimed, where were the relationships that were maybe broken that needed to be healed? That was very beautiful and I missed it. <laughs> For those unclaimed who had, uh, who may have had no faith, he read a poem, maybe two, from Maya Angelou. There was a cello player there. If you believe in nothing else, believe in Maya, Maya Angelou. Angelou. 
the crowd towards the end of the ceremony was saying the first few verses of Amazing Grace. I didn't know that I knew any words to Amazing Grace, uh, but I did. Everybody was singing Amazing Grace. And I kind of wondered why, but there's lyrics in there. I was once lost and now I'm found. And like, oh yeah, that's kind of, that, mm-hmm. that's fitting for this particular thing. I was once unclaimed, <laughs> but now I'm buried in a mass grave. In, With all these people Heights. that I thought I don't know. <laughs> With Greg leering at me. Hey, what's this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There was also a lot of people taking pictures that weren't media photographers. They were just taking pictures off their phone. I suppose that's not a huge deal, but it really irks me. It's, it, I mean, all, all of this is a little strange. Yeah, it kind of. Eh. I think when someone or, you know, over 1,400 people whose remains sat at the county morgue untouched for three years, strangers or not, are being honored, you might not want to, you might want to, like, pay attention. Just kind of stand there and give them, like, good, you don't want to... St- Take pictures of the mound of dirt where they now residing in, or the mound of ashes. Okay, was it like it. a mound of ash? Or, no, no, no. They, they. I mean, like, they buried the. Th- I don't even know if they. Why would you bury ashes? They could have. Yeah. I don't know what they did. I, I showed up late, so if they, if they spread ashes all over the lawn, I don't Let's know. Let's go dig them up right now. See what we find. There's no bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of iPads out recording everything, mm. which turned out to my benefit because a day or so later, I was able to sit and watch everything I saw because everybody was uploading <laughs> the funeral. They told me when I walked up to not throw the flowers up right away. They're gonna let at towards the end. They're gonna roll. Everyone's gonna get in line. You need to throw them up. Don't like just walk up and put flowers down. Wait for the ceremony. The point of the ceremony where you can walk up and uh, it's like fitted for like that. Throw them like here you go. Encore. <laughs> <laughs> I got somewhere to be. A lot of people when I showed up had a single white rose and I had flowers grown by the Crayola company like they were so colorful and, and so different my first funeral bouquet I felt like I'd never been to a funeral before you should have come dressed as the lady in black you know I thought about that you're always thinking <laughs> I always think it doesn't matter what day of the year it is uh, one of these people Rudolph Valentino I always call him Maya Angelou the burial spot America's itself heartthrob. <laughs> the burial spot itself was pretty sad to look at it was a small amount of dirt with a teddy bear and some other small artifacts oh, yeah. on it it was it was pretty it's pretty sad. I, I was really affected by that teddy bear. <laughs> there was a lot of people standing around. It seemed like a lot of people were, I mean, who weren't photographers or, or like media or county employees because they all had their badges on. They're all like, I got to get to work in an hour. <laughs> there seemed to be like a small group of people who looked authentically sad. And that really bothered me. Like they're, they're, there was just something like, yeah, they're here for, they're here for somebody. Mm. And you were not one of those people, I, I take it. <laughs> no, yeah, there were, no one was here for No. <laughs> All of the names of the unclaimed dead will eventually be online. When coroners are unable to find relatives, they sometimes submit their requests to unclaimedpersons.org, which is an online group of about 600 volunteers who scour public records for possible family. Until the Times digitized the handwritten record of the unclaimed dead, of 2011 to create a searchable database only those people whose cases were handled by the coroner which is only like about a third could be found online officials from the department of public health which oversee the morgue and the uh, department of um what of boogieing down (laughs) this can't be right they said they're working on digitizing all those records making them online so hopefully years coming up there'll be less unclaimed bodies because you'll be able to search for family members and mm. such. I think making it less expensive to bury somebody would be a first step. <laughs> I, I still don't understand what you need to do to claim a body. Like, could I get, like, some sort of a superior brain for some <laughs> this project I'm working on? Or 
I mean, how easy would that I also that need be? a gurney. Can I get that there, too? And I also need new lunch bags. I'm running out. I was trying to understand the process better because I've never been responsible for a dead person before. I believe the more contacts you or a mortuary, I wonder how that process works, whether they contact you and you find the mortuary or they contact a mortuary and then they contact you. It feels like the person has to go find the mortuary. Anybody who's done this before, who's listening, is can go Please. ahead and punch me in the stomach because I've never had to deal with that. Oh, boo-hoo. Boo-hoo. Greg's never had to bury a loved one. <laughs> so now my turn to spook you this one isn't scary though <laughs> i know i was uh we went over that before it'll spook you by how unscary this is you'll say isn't this supposed to scare me no we're not doing our job Howard's very well and scared the hell out of me new york city meekly you son of a bitch new york city has their mole people mm-hmm. i think as everybody in the country knows but not to be outdone la has its very own subterranean probably made up dwellers the lizard people i'd like to know more you're about to downtown la is a very hilly place as we know for all of those of us who try to walk from the subway to the library yeah you gotta get a you gotta get a taxi you gotta get a rickshaw or something you gotta take angel's flight <laughs> And then get a taxi Uber, Tinder, I don't know, something. Take a Tinder there. <laughs> Take it easy. So downtown LA is a, it's a very hilly place, but it used to be even hillier. Bunker Hill, mm-hmm. still mostly around, but one hill that's gone forever is Fort Moore Hill. I've heard about this. Tell me. This uh, area. Uh, never mind. <laughs> this area was bordered by what is now Temple on the south side, Hill on the west, Spring on the east, Cesar Chavez on the north. Okay. I know it. Being a hill, you got, I got we've it. triangulated this place, more of a square. So being a hill, like you, being, <laughs> a, being a hill, it had certain strategic military advantages. So during the Mexican-American War, America set up a fort there, Fort Moore, mm-hmm. in 1847 to hold control of Los Angeles and prevent any Mexican retaliation from them, you know, taking the city. Yeah. The war ended not long after that, and the control of the city was stabilized. So in 1853, the fort was decommissioned and then abandoned. After that, a few scattered people built houses up there, mm-hmm. but mostly the area was just a big cemetery, unclaimed. Uh, I thought we were done talking about. We're done talking about cemeteries. Like, don't bring it up anymore. You're stepping on my toes, friend. There'd be a lot of toe stepping coming up. <laughs> yeah, my thing's about lizard people, too. My next three stories are all about different amphibious people. It was, it was a cemetery. I don't care what you say. The first man buried there was Andrew Sublet, who got killed in a fight to the death with a bear in Malibu. <laughs> what? Here's what's even weirder. The bear also died. I don't know where the bear's buried. Was it like the... Was it like the end of Rocky 2 where they both hit each other? <laughs> they both charge at each other and they stab each other in the gut right at the moment. I wonder if this is the same bear that killed a little girl at, uh, at Venice and they're just like oh run God. free and they <laughs> fought a guy. Go, go, go. I can't protect you anymore. Go. Benji, I can't protect you anymore. Get up there. Be fruitful with the mountain lions. We make fun of so many dead people. <laughs> if there's any Nazis still up there, give them one for me. Seymour. <laughs> so it was a graveyard and some houses. This went on up until 1882 when a man named Jacob Philippi opened up LA's first brewery there oh. and he had a beer garden and a saloon to go along with it drunks being drunks though the area became rough and tumble so in 1887 mostly tumble because it was a hill they did people would like tumble down the hill all the time so in 1887 he sold the land to a lady named mary hollister banning who then turned it into one of the city's first upscale swanky neighborhoods okay however the city began to expand out of the pueblo area and this giant hill was 
you know, it's a giant hill. No one wants to walk up. This is in San Francisco. In 1901, the Broadway tunnel opened up under it to try to alleviate traffic, but it wasn't enough. In 1933, plans were made to demolish Fort Moore Hill to make room for all the new citizens, and they also needed the dirt from there to help make Union Station. The hill always had a constant air of legends and rumors of hidden gold. There was supposedly gold hidden there by the Spanish and somehow by the Mayans and the Aztecs. So the first published story about this gold appeared in the LA Times on August 15th, 1897. There were several attempts that were made over the years, no confirmed successes. When the plans to level the hill were announced, the rumors of gold intensified. So even more so because it was the middle of the Depression in 1933 and people would believe anything if it meant finding some gold that would save their families. They just wanted to buy hooch and bread. Save families. Families gotta have hooch. <laughs> What's a family without hooch? Turner. Dead family. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> An unclaimed family. <laughs> so then the big man came along, a geophysicist and mining engineer named G. Warren Schuffelt. Schuffelt? Schuffelt. 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 For the sake of this, Schuffelt. Schuffelt. He had a device that he had made that he called a radio x-ray machine that seems to be just a like a weird pendulum in a box. Okay. And the way he said it worked was that if you put something in the machine, it would detect anything akin to it. For example, if Greg murdered somebody... uh, Cold-blooded. Not even remorseful about it. Out of nowhere, too. It got him off. So if he killed somebody named Daniel and he left a strand of hair behind as his calling card, Shuffelt could put that piece of hair into his device and the machine would be able to track him down and bring him to justice. The, a justice machine. The Batman justice matic. Yeah. <laughs> justice matic 1935. <laughs> the murder solver. <laughs> he applied this operating system to finding gold. So he put some gold in there. And with the help of an ancient treasure map drawn on an old piece of sheepskin provided by a couple of guys named Rex McCreary and Ray Martin. And they used the x-ray machine to locate gold under Fort Moore Hill. They claimed it was a map that they had to some Spanish gold, maybe even Aztec. And Schuffelt claimed the x-ray images he got were scientific proof that there was gold down there. But another gold-finding expert surveyed the area with his trusty stick with a tobacco pouch tied at the end that would dip down if there was gold. Gypsy magic. (laughs) He looked around and he said, there's no more than $2 tops on this hill. (laughs) $2? I could buy a bag of chips. I could buy a soda. I could take a ride on a trolley and go to the movies. <laughs> I guess this guy with the tobacco stick methods weren't scientifically sound enough, so nobody was swayed. Schuffelt struck a deal with the county board of supervisors that he can dig there, but any gold that he found, he had to split with the county 50-50. That's such a weird handshake, old-timey deal. I, I shook hands with the city, and they're going to get half of it, and they looked me square in the eye, and I trust them. I high-fived City Hall. <laughs> So this uh, ridiculous contract, it was approved on February 21st, 1933, but they were only allowed to dig 50 feet deep. So nothing was found, (laughs) but they wanted to dig deeper. On March 22nd, 1933, the contract was changed to allow them to dig deeper. Schuffelt and his gang of ragtag volunteers dug and they dug. They found nothing. (laughs) So the contract was renewed on April 10th, but by September of that year, nothing. And the contract, they just allowed it to expire. But what about the x-ray machine? It ran out of batteries. They weren't invented yet, so we couldn't, <laughs> so we couldn't get new ones. So this is when Schuffelt took a little trip to Arizona. On this trip, he met a Hopi chief named Little Chief Greenleaf, and he was told a story. Here we go. I'm ready, finally. Everybody, uh, talking about hills and get digging. into your sweat lodge and get ready to listen to this. 
Let's add that to the tally of offensive things. I believe we're at 13. (laughs) So according to legend, thousands of years ago, I guess before the Keech were here, Mm. there was a great meteor shower that rained fire upon the Southwest. They say that the Winslow Crater in Arizona is a remnant from this event, but that would place this in the timeline of history as happening some 20,000 years ago. And if you're following the timeline of actual history from the last episode, you'll notice that there's a lot of plot holes in this. So this story could also be connected to the Shumash legend that I heard about of the very first people of LA called the Moo Moo! (laughs) who lived in a land that is now covered by the Pacific Ocean so during this supposed reign of fire many died but a few survived the survivors knew that something like this could happen again so they decided to take their people underground where they could be safe the Hopi called these people their snake brothers. We know them as the lizard people. Oh, snake brothers is uh, endearing, though. That's yeah, too biker gang, though. <laughs> lizard people's more yeah authentic. It's it's judgmental too. <laughs> I could see myself segregating lizard people. <laughs> it was disappointing, at least for me, to find out. But they weren't actually half lizard anamorph people. They were just humans that supposedly descended from the Mayans, but they worshipped the lizard as a sign of long life. So that's why they were called the lizard people. They were somewhat superhuman, though. They were extremely advanced scientifically and intellectually. They were very wealthy. The intelligence of one of their nine-year-olds was that of one of our college graduates. Or us. I don't know what that means. Uh, Are you complimenting us? I can't tell. I don't even know anymore. I don't even... These people were able to predict earthquakes, and they had very advanced chemical knowledge as well. So supposedly the lizard people created 13 underground cities, three of them along the coast. According to Chief... Little Chief Greenleaf, one was under what is now L.A. Mm -hmm. So the lizard people used their chemicals to carve out an elaborate series of tunnels shaped like a lizard under what is now downtown L.A. to use as a bomb shelter for their people should another uh, rain Rain of fire fire. happen. So these tunnels were said to be big enough to accommodate a thousand families in addition to storing their tribal wealth, which included tablets made of solid gold that were inscribed with the true origins of the human race. And eventually the lizard people died off in the tunnels because of natural gases leaking in there. (laughs) But the tunnels were still there, supposedly. And I wonder if those are the tunnels that are supposedly under Chinatown now. I'm getting to that. Toes will be stabbed. <laughs> this story was too good not to be true for Schaffelt, so he returned to L.A. and dusted off the old radio x-ray machine. Oh he was able to map out an entire elaborate system of tunnels right under the city's collective noses, just as prophesized. And it was shaped like a lizard. It was. Really? Well, listen to this. I'll, I'll get off your toes. You're getting... Me. God, you're, it's like doing the waltz with your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so there were 280 85 tunnels in all that covered 1,900 square feet. The rooms down there ranged from 23 feet by 23 feet to 34 feet by 42 feet. There were 37 gold tablets of 4 feet long, 14 inches wide that were spread over 16 rooms. Three of the tablets will be missing the southwest corner. The head of the reptilian tunnel design is under Elysian Park. The tip of the tail is under the Central Library. So there is also a series of secondary tunnels that went as far as the Santa Monica Bay for ventilation purposes. The main room of this lizard city was supposedly under 2nd and Broadway. So Schuffelt went back to the county board and got permission once again to dig at what is now 518 North Hill Street. An article on the front page of the LA Times ran about this January 29, 1934, complete with the Fort Moore Hill section of Schaffelt's map. Mm -hmm. And again, this being the Depression, such a thrilling hidden treasure story gripped people's imagination. People came to watch the dig and everybody was 
a, tw- a titter. A titter. They all twittered about it. On this new dig, he managed to get 250 feet deep, but the mud and the boulders prevented him from going any further towards the 1,000 feet he felt was needed to, to hit the tunnels. I don't know if I have to point this out again. Nothing was found. <laughs> so the, the city- I'm on the edge of my seat, but I'm sitting on the floor. If that makes sense. <laughs> so the city snapped out of it, and on March 5th, 1934, the project was shut down, the shafts were filled, the contract with the city was canceled, and everyone agreed never to speak of this again. <laughs> So, but, but you're not in agreement. Except you were in I don't the agree class. to nothing. <laughs> so by the 40s, Fort Moore Hill was an obstacle to traffic, and in 1949, it was demolished to make way for the 101. Strangely enough, there actually are secret tunnels under downtown LA, but they were not made by lizard chemicals. Just regular ones. <laughs> so there are 11 miles of tunnels stretching from Spring and Temple to First and Grand. Okay. They were service tunnels that the city built that connected several government buildings. They have been used to transport the likes of Mickey Cohen from the jail to the courthouse and back. When Charles Manson was on trial, his followers were even entertaining the idea of using these tunnels to break him out. Of course they were. So files from the county archive are stored down there. There was even one night when the city had to move a billion dollars worth through them in something called Operation Midnight. Ooh. <laughs> they were also intended to be used as fallout shelters should there be a nuclear attack from uh, Russia. In 1987, during a bad rainstorm, they were opened up for the homeless to sleep down there. Some probably never left. <laughs> the coroner has stored bodies there. Wow. So I'm sure there's a lot of unclaimed corpses down there. Yeah. The mafia has dumped bodies down there. During Prohibition, a lot of booze was smuggled through them. The King Eddie Saloon has an entrance to them in their basement. Really? The tunnels of the city's original subway system are also down there, but due to earthquake concerns, you can't go there for tours. But there is an unmarked elevator behind the Hall of Records that you can take down there to see some of it. But nowadays, there's most likely ruled by rats instead of lizards. You gotta go for me. I'm... Indiana Jones' dad. I know that there's a knight down there in a coffin, and I really want to see it, but there's rats, and you got to go for me. Well, and then the young Indiana Jones, <laughs> the young adventures. So there's also some tunnels under Chinatown that may have been what Schofelt was actually stumbling upon, so maybe he wasn't completely uh, an idiot. Yeah. So an incredibly wild conspiracy theory that I read was that Schofelt did find tunnels down there, and he had a secret entrance to them in the basement of the Central Library, and the big fire there in 1986 was just a diversion for naval intelligence officers to sneak down into it. Wow, really? Yeah, it's a ridiculous conspiracy, but it's really fun. I like that. So in the end, Schofelt was just yet another delusional gold hunter in LA, and he died in North Hollywood in 1957 like the rest of them. (laughs) That's the last time anyone will ever speak of him again. You're lucky we gave you that, (laughs) Schofelt. See you at the unclaimed corpse parade. So there, there's tunnels down there? <laughs> is that where we landed? What I'm trying to say is, don't flush your lizards down the toilet, people. <laughs> Eat them like the rest of us. They'll want to wear pants one day. <laughs> and I'll be gosh darned if I ever see a lizard in some culottes. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about a hospital now. Last year, you talked about a cemetery. Yeah. We talked about Rudolph Valentino and the Lady in Black. Who? I talked about a hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about another hospital now. You just love them. I love them. You're all about healthcare. I'm all about abandoned hospitals. <laughs> the Linda Vista. Here it comes. Oh boy. The Linda Vista Hospital takes up addresses 610 to 630 on South St. Louis Street, LA, California, 90023. Where's that? 
the closest cross street is 6th Street and St. Louis, which is off of Whittier Boulevard in Boyle Heights, okay. right across the street from Hollenbeck Park. If you've ever gone on the other side of the I've eaten burrito freeway, I think was called the Hollenbeck Burrito. The Hollenbeck Burrito. You must have got it from Hollenbeck Park. Yeah, you're a ghost. <laughs> it's for reals now. Yeah, last year when I was doing research for uh, Rancho Los Amigos, which was the abandoned hospital complex in Downey, I kept getting entries for the Linda Vista Hospital. I'm like, not now. I'm doing something. <laughs> next, like, year, was, next year. Next <laughs> year. So I came back this year. It's one of the most haunted places in Los Angeles, if you, can ma- if you could measure such a thing. The place has had many visits from paranormal investigation teams, one of which being the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures team who, upon a couple visits, recorded a few spooky things. Uh, I usually try not to cover anything that, like, the Ghostbusters might have done because it's just going to be me, like, talking about a TV show I watch. So I don't like to do that. So I didn't watch the show. Kind of, I'm kind of curious. It feels a little irresponsible, as if, like, reading forum and blog posts is any better than watching TV. But I haven't watched it yet. You'd be surprised how little concrete evidence there is about hauntings and specters. You think that there would be more concrete evidence of the afterlife? Life, right <laughs> i think we had the same exact conversation last year i'm pretty sure god let's just repeat everything we've done for the past year <laughs> i feel like this is a podcast that's eating itself constantly <laughs> let's give a little history on the hospital first please originally the linda vista hospital was a santa fe railroad hospital or it was also known as the santa fe coastlines hospital why was it titled such because it was at once a hospital for employees of the santa fe railroad it was built in 1904 to treat injured railroad workers and at the time of its original construction it had 150 beds so it was i think six stories 150 beds uh, apparently in the 19th century there were a lot of associations and funds that provided services to members on dues paying basis including burial expenses and financial support for injured or laid off workers it was like health care and life insurance before there was a such a thing santa fe railroad because they were profitable was able to offer that to employees the santa fe railroad company had several emergency care facilities the first being in needles california which is in the mojave desert on, i believe on the way to vegas and they also followed that with locations in barstow which is on the way to vegas and San Bernardino, uh, LA and San Francisco were able to house long-term patients. They were bigger hospitals, like full. The other ones were just emergency rooms. Before the Santa Fe Railroad Hospital was built, patients were taken to the Sisters of Charity Hospital. I couldn't really figure where that was at. But as the line extended, the company realized they were in need of their own facility. The property is situated on a little less than four acres. It's kind of a big lot. I always, I like kept passing by it. When I read that it was near Hollingbeck Park, I kind of knew the park by sight. So when I looked it up, I was like, oh yeah, that park. There's not a hospital right there. It's a hospital. <laughs> right there i passed by it like a million times the hospital had a surgical suite and a psych ward among other things gonna come into play a little later the size of the property also allowed for the creation of a park on the grounds to be built for patients to enjoy and they also wanted the freshest meals for their patients so they raised cows for milk for butter for beef they also used their bones as musical instruments I'm just kidding. As well as chickens, and they grew their own vegetables. They used the vegetables as instruments. Yeah. Those carrots were great drumsticks. <laughs> Can you ever play the rutabaga? Paul McCartney and John Lennon came, and they were eating beets there, and they're like, something about these beets. Anywho, that was a horrible joke. Yeah. I don't even know if that was a joke. <laughs> it, was, it was just history. <laughs> I say that as Ringo. <laughs> we just lost Ringo Starr as a fan. Unsubscribe. Anyways, everything's going good. Yeah. In 1924, the hospital was raised and rebuilt, most likely because Santa Fe was becoming really profitable, so they decided to expand. So they completely destroyed the hospital that was there before and decided to rebuild it. It took a dozen years, 12 years, reconstructing the facility. But by George, they did it <laughs> and renamed it the Linda Vista Community Hospital. And from that point on, 1937, it was the Linda Vista Hospital. And once again, we should state 
the Great Depression and World War II happen, and it all changes. All that good fortune goes down the drain. East LA was slowly transforming into a less affluent area, urban, and the crime rate rose. Lowered funding at the hospital resulted in less staff to treat the influx of patients, and as a consequence, the hospital's death toll was rising. That's something I keep reading about, the hospital's inexplicable high death rate. It gets mentioned several times throughout several readings. Some of it, they say, because of mistreatment and abuse which is kind of strange. I couldn't find any report. I couldn't find any reports on anything like that, but all these people who were talking about it said, oh yeah, there was a lot of mistreatment and abuse there. There were a lot of weird stories. There was one that really made me uh, not smile. What's the opposite of smile and laugh? There is no opposite. I, I, my body doesn't react to anything that's opposite. <laughs> oh, horror? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh it off. One night back in the 1980s, a Los Angeles gang member was shot and rushed to Linda Vista. A man by the name of Dr. Edwards was in charge of the surgery. Dr. Edwards had done everything in his power to save the gang member's life. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough. When Dr. Edwards left the building to go home, he was confronted by the gang in the parking lot and shot to death. There's a lot of stories like that. Okay, there's like three stories like that. The 70s and 80s saw a huge influx of gangs in East LA, which of course sent a steady stream of violence-induced hospital needs, gunshot wounds and knife wounds. All of it went to Linda Vista's emergency room. The neighborhood was getting worse, as was the survival rate of patients admitted. It became the hospital of the hood, and that's never an easy thing. It's never good to be that hospital that all the gang members go to. Orderly's in the hood. (laughs) In the hood. In the hood. Apostrophe uh, N. Sorry. Yeah. By 1980, the Santa Fe Railroad, who still owned the Linda Vista Hospital, decided to opt out of providing direct health care to their employees, and they sold the hospital to a private company. Scary. Isn't that spooky? Privatization. Privatization. <laughs> the 80s brought a change in how Medicare reimbursements worked, and the hospital suffered <laughs> They a- all came with a perm. <laughs> They all came with a perm and power suits, huge shoulder <laughs> pads on suit jackets, that aha song. You know the one. You know, they only had one. Let's sing it right now. Copyright infringement. <laughs> the huge increase in poor and uninsured patients caused the hospital to have to stop accepting ambulances in the emergency room. This was 1988. Many doctors at the hospital also started leaving to affluent neighborhoods. The wimps. Finally, Linda Vista shut the emergency room down, which was a major step towards the end, and then they shut the entire hospital down in 1991. The place was abandoned in a hurry, a lot like Rancho Los Amigos. Medical records, patient information, hospital supplies were all left behind, but that wasn't all that was left behind. Mm. Mm. So after this... Keys. My shoe! This is the, the strange case of Greg's missing booty <laughs> when he was a little boy. I got one. Where's the other? Did it fly off when I was on the Batman ride at Six Flags because your feet are dangling? <laughs> or was or... it in Yorba Linda? <laughs> Everything's here in Yorba Linda. <laughs> so after the hospital shuts down, many film productions begin using the hospital as set locations. In the Line of Fire, starring Clint Eastwood, was filmed there. Outbreak was filmed there. Mm. Children of the Corn 666 was filmed there. Oh, no. End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger was filmed there. Mm. And many people working on production began feeling things, hearing things around the hospital. Overnight security and production crews were seeing darting shadows. They could hear unexplained murmurs, crying in the night. Many people... It's just Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) He just can't get the career back. He knew it. By by end of days, he knew it. It was the end of days. (laughs) Many people have reported to have been physically alerted to the presence of spirits, shoving and light, like cold touches on the neck. Three spirits in particular have been sighted on multiple occasions. A little girl lurks in the surgical room. A young woman paces the hallways of the third floor. And an orderly in a white short sleeve shirt is lurking by the windows. I was reading the story. I forget what movie was being filmed. But uh, a young woman who was a PA saw that. Uh, she went inside, saw the, the apparition of the orderly, came outside and threw up. 
Must have been her first dick. I haven't seen the episode of Ghost Adventures because, like I said, I didn't want to just reiterate a TV show. But they 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 have a lot of stuff. Uh, they reported a lot of stuff and they recorded some stuff too. In the surgical suite, where apparently many improper procedures were done, they saw a full-bodied manifestation of a girl, as well as uh, responsive tapping noises upon their second visit. So, is there someone in here? And they hear tapping in response. <laughs> <laughs> she just wants to sing that's her unfinished business the psych ward room 323 has a lot of spookies <laughs> not spookies not spookies please god not spookies i'll kill myself they have a 20 second growl and a no leave recorded on their website on the ghost adventures website you can barely hear it but there is a weird like, and you're like oh boy <laughs> but you know I, I i always take all that stuff with a grain of salt so yeah it brings out the sweetness yeah because it brings out the sweetness of ghosts they claim to have suffered from scratching at the back of the neck and shoving out of that room as well <laughs> the psych ward they also reported a green light uh in the in that room as well like a green beam maybe something. it's just a metaphor for the american dream the great gets <laughs> <laughs> don't don't fitzgerald me in front of everybody i'm just zeldaing you know? <laughs> it's not f scott speaking of insane asylums we're taking down everybody Ringo, zelda down. fitzgerald <laughs> and thousands <laughs> of unclaimed bodies <laughs> knocking at our door peace and love I brought the armies of hell. <laughs> There's a John Lennon joke in there. I just can't I pull out. I was trying to, to just come up. No, I still couldn't reunite with John. <laughs> She's a general in the army of hell. <laughs> yeah, all over the hospital, there's bad vibes and weird energy. A lot of cold spots. People say you can be in one part of the hospital and turn a corner and the, the temperature will suddenly change out of nowhere. According to them, the Ghost Adventure team, they think the hauntings are from that influx of mistreated patients from the 80s of gang members. And if that's so, if the spirits have unfinished business, I'm pretty sure they just want to be jumped out of the gang so they can move out into the afterlife. <laughs> Blood in, ectoplasm out. <laughs> For a guy that hasn't seen this Ghost Hunters thing because he didn't want to be influenced by it, you sure are quoting it a lot. They they had the most information. Yeah. Everybody else was like, I heard a sound. I'm like, no, I need more than that. <laughs> After all these years, the hospital is now being repurposed and there's renovations. They're going to start using it again as uh, apartments for seniors no. uh, in an a, no. attempt to push the dead closer to the dying. <laughs> if you can relate to any of us, it's these ones. Please don't take your family members there. I beg you. Uh, sponsored by Linda Vista Community Hospital. Uh, you thought hospitals were scary? Me too. <laughs> ghosts? No ghosts? Me too. Let's stop talking about these things, please. Active, abandoned, yeah. Efficient, malpractice. Mm, they all scare me. Now on to a- another thing. Wow. Maybe we should just pretend this episode never happened. Oh yeah, we deleted the file. We gotta do it again tomorrow night at midnight. <laughs> Why aren't we as popular as Serial? <laughs> we'll find who killed that girl. We're, you not watch. Even, we're not even as popular as actual Serial. <laughs> bad Serial. We're not even as popular as Serial in a bag. Here we go on the next one. Ever wonder what the movie There Will Be Blood is based on? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe I'll uh, skip this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone is interested, <laughs> it's based on Oil by Upton Sinclair. Ever wonder who the main character of Oil is based on? I'm dying to know. I'm dying to know. <laughs> As I choke that out. <laughs> Why, Edward Lawrence Doheny, of course. Doheny of Doheny Drive. Doheny of Doheny. Ever wonder what Doheny was known for? Oil. The, he wrote the book. He wrote the book on oil. Doheny but not, but not Upton Sinclair. Book. Oh, okay. But keep in mind in this story, there will be blood. <laughs> so Doheny is Paul Thomas Anderson and Upton Sinclair. So Edward Lawrence Doheny was born in 1865 in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. In his youth, he would prospect for gold, 
but eventually he moved on to prospecting for oil, and in 1892, he and his friend Charles A. Canfield became the first to strike oil in Los Angeles. So this was obviously very profitable, and they eventually began to mine in Mexico as well and became the largest producers of oil in the world with Pan American Petroleum. So the only man to rival Doheny's power in the country at this time was Rockefeller, and he was he was an L.A. boy, not yeah. Rockefeller. Doheny had married a woman in 1883 named Carrie Luella Wilkins, and together they had a daughter and a son. The couple were divorced by 1889 as Doheny had fallen in love with a telephone operator over the lines. <laughs> Sarah from Andy Griffith? This whole story inspired not just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ever wonder what the character of Sarah that nobody <laughs> talks about from Andy Griffith? <laughs> so they fell in love over the lines. Her name was Estelle Betzold. So Doheny married Betzold and their little daughter that he had had with his first wife ended up dying at age seven. Mm-hmm. In response, Carrie, who was his first wife, drank some battery acid and killed herself. Wow. But this story has to do with the Doheny boy. That Doheny boy. <laughs> that Doheny boy is on my lawn again. Sorry. With his slingshot and his shorts. <laughs> and his million dollar shoes. So as is the tradition, as we know, with LA higher ups, Edward Lawrence Doheny's son was named... Edward Lawrence Doheny Jr. Creativity runs in, in Richmond. In the city. It must be in the LA River. So he went by Ned. So we'll call him Ned. He was born on November 6, 1893. No surprise, he grew up very rich and privileged. He graduated from USC, and then he married Lucy Smith, who was the daughter of another oil man, W.P. Smith, from Pasadena. Okay. So they had five kids. One of them, Edward Lawrence Doheny III. <sighs> Is this how rich men think immortality works? If you can name your son after yourself and force him into the family business, he's you. They all think they're Zorro. Yeah, just put a hat and a mask on him and Zorro (laughs) never dies. He inherited the mantle of Edward Lawrence Doheny (laughs) as every boy dreams. So Ned's life and his exploits were always in the news. He was famous for being famous. He was like the Kim Kardashian or a more dated reference, the Paris Hilton of his day. Go more dated. Uh, Uh, O.J. Simpson. That's good. He he earned money. Yeah, he earned it. He earned it. He earned everything he got. (laughs) But we can only hope that their stories end up the same way as Doheny's story. So along with getting a wife, Lucy's dad assigned one of his workers to be the chauffeur of the two young lovers. This was a man named Theodore Hugh Plunkett. Love the name. So Plunkett eventually advanced to Ned's personal secretary after World War One. But more than that, the two, Ned and Plunkett, they grew up together and they became very close friends. Mm-hmm. So while their friendship was growing, Doheny Sr. decided he wanted to get a leg up on some oil rights in Kern County. So he sent Ned and Plunkett to Washington after when they were done with their vaudeville show. <laughs> the greatest superhero team. Ned and Plunkett. Ned and Plunkett. So he sent them to Washington, D.C. to deliver a briefcase filled with $100,000 cash to the Secretary of the Interior, Albert Fall. So this and other similar transactions got called to the attention of the public in what became known as the Teapot Dome Scandal, if you remember that from history class. Mm-hmm. Uh, as all of you probably never went to school who listened to this, um, it's a place you go to learn. So... This was the huge scandal of its day involving the government giving out favors to a select few oil companies, and Doheny became a big part of this whole debacle. So Doheny was Doheny Sr., that is, was indicted in 1924, but actions against him were delayed. Indicted along with him were Ned and Plunkett oh for being the ones that actually delivered the bribe. So this was a very stressful and disgraceful time for the family, but life had to go on. In 1926, Doheny Sr. gave Ned a gift. 
maybe for the trouble that he was putting him through over ruining his life. So he gave him 12.58 acres of land in Beverly Hills. Ned decided to build a mansion on these grounds. On February 15th, 1927, construction began. So the grounds were to have stables, kennels, tennis courts, a pool, a greenhouse, a lake, waterfalls, and babbling brooks. And it even had its own fire station. And then there was the mansion itself. Wow. So the mansion was designed by the architect Gordon Kaufman, who also designed the new LA Times building, the <laughs> explosion-proof one, that is. You see, you see an exploding building? I see an opportunity. One building goes down, two go up. This mansion has 55 rooms, Jeez. seven chimneys in there that are each designed by a different artist, each one. <laughs> Sorry, you couldn't see me roll my eyes. Go ahead. You're a one chimney man, I get it. <laughs> it has 46,054 square feet of living space and sweeping views of LA and the ocean. The mansion was to cost $3 million in today's dollars. That's $40 million. It was to be called Greystone because they used a lot of stone to build it. And what the stone st- was gray. You're wonderful. <laughs> that must have took a lot of research. Where do, well, how do I find stone? What color is it? Are there any quarries <laughs> within the city limits? So it was the biggest house in LA when it was built and the second biggest in California behind only Hearst Castle. Oh. So it's located at 501 Doheny Road in Beverly Hills, so vain. Construction took three years to complete, but it was complete enough for Ned and his family to move in in September of 1928. So meanwhile, while this beautiful castle was going up, Doheny Sr.'s trial was being scheduled to be held in 1929 and the date was coming up. Family was getting nervous, especially nervous were Ned and Plunkett. Mm -hmm. So Plunkett was particularly distressed. Apparently he was suffering some sort of mental breakdown around Christmas of 1928. Because Santa didn't know what chimney to go down. There was seven of them. (laughs) Also, he was going through a divorce and he was having some sort of bad gingivitis. All this money and he wouldn't go to the dentist. You gotta save. Heading into 1929, Ned didn't want to have to testify against his own dad, Mm -hmm. and Plunkett knew that, and Plunkett himself not being a part of the family, he saw that he was starting to look like a pretty good fall guy for all of this. So this was the environment heading into February 16th. 1929, a mere five months after Ned and his family had moved into Greystone. In the late afternoon of that day, Ned and Lucy visited Plunkett at his apartment to urge him to get help for his increasing nervous meltdown that he was Mm -hmm. having. So after this, Ned and Lucy went to see a show, and then they headed back home, as you do after you confront a friend who's having a meltdown. So at night, Plunkett came to Greystone at around 9.30. He had his own key to the place. He let himself in, and he had Ned called for to meet him in one of the many sitting rooms. The two old friends were alone together in the room for a couple of hours, and then this is how the official story goes. Oh, boy. (laughs) At 11.30, Lucy heard a gunshot. She immediately called the family doctor, Ernest Clyde Fishbow, who was in a movie theater at the time. Was he watching James Bond? Who knows? (laughs) So he was paged out of the theater, and he rushed over to Greystone and showed up some 20 minutes later. When the doctor came, he and Lucy went to the room that Ned and Plunkett were in. They came to the room to be greeted by Plunkett holding a gun and yelling, you stay out of here, and then he slammed the door on them, and then a second gunshot was heard. They went into the room. Both Ned and Plunkett were dead with bullet holes in their heads. So the police showed up, and a sweeping inquest was promised into this sensational incident, But 36 hours later, the call was made, murder-suicide, and there would be no further inquest. The case was closed. Reporting stopped after three days. This was Beverly Hills' first murder. Yeah. Not the last. (laughs) Here's where the official story, though, starts to fall apart. When the police showed up, the doctor said nobody had touched the bodies, but Ned was on his back, 
and the way that the blood had dried over his body couldn't physically have happened if he was on his back. So then the doctor started changing his story and he said, well, actually, uh, he moved Ned's body to try to revive him. And then the story changed even further when it became clear that Ned was actually alive still when the doctor had showed up, but then he died soon after. And then smaller details started to change like, well, no, no, Plunkett, uh, he closed the door softly. He didn't slam it. And then even stranger, several family members were called over to the house before the police were. The police weren't called until 2 a.m., and this supposedly happened at 1130. Mm. So the witness statements from the staff also sounded heavily rehearsed, and the family seemed to be acting very suspiciously. Now, for the murder scene itself, the gun was next to Plunkett's body, but strangely, there were no fingerprints on it. Even stranger, it was warm too warm so warm it felt like it had been placed in an oven before the cops came over (laughs) also on plunkett were burns on his fingertips from holding a cigarette so if he had been holding a gun and a lit cigarette why wouldn't he drop it somewhere between slamming the door in the doctor's face and shooting himself yeah so you know what didn't have burns on it the bullet wound around plunkett's head meaning that he couldn't have killed himself and he must have been shot from a distance But you know whose wound did have powder burns around it? Ned's, which means that he had to have been shot from within three inches. So going by the facts of this crime scene, it looks like Ned was the one who killed Plunkett and then killed himself. So then there's other reports that it had actually been Ned who called the doctor, but at 10.30 to get him to come over to give Plunkett a tonic to calm him down. If this is true, then that means the doctor would have been there before anybody was shot. And then another theory claims that Plunkett did kill Ned for suggesting he go to a mental institution. Another says he did it because he wanted a raise. One popular theory that people like is that Ned and Plunkett were actually gay lovers and that Lucy killed both of them. Wow. So even more confusing is the way that they were buried. Because the Doheny clan are all buried at the Catholic Cavalry Cemetery in East L.A., Mm -hmm. but Ned's buried in Forest Lawn. And there were huge crowds that showed up for his funeral. But even more confusing is that the Doheny's paid for Plunkett's burial as well. (laughs) But why would they pay for the supposed murderer of their own son? And he's literally buried a stone's throw away from Ned and Fort. Like you could see. Well, I have a picture. Like you can see both of their graves in the same image. So this could be confirmation of the Ned as murderer theory. Because if you had committed suicide, you were not allowed to be buried in a Catholic cemetery. Oh. Yeah. So Doheny Sr. eventually went to trial, but he was acquitted. Many think out of public sympathy over the loss of his son. All Ned got was a library named after him at USC. <laughs> Lucy then went on to get remarried just a year later, and she continued living in Greystone until 1955. Oh, her so, husband was killed. Yeah, well, that's her old husband. <laughs> she moved on. So the history of Greystone did not fail to one-up itself when years later, one of the servants hung herself in the living quarters, and another one slit her wrists in the meat locker. Jesus. And after that, a seven-year-old girl fell to her death out of the upstairs nursery window. And the house is also riddled. There's hidden rooms. There's passageways that they were using during Prohibition. Again, in 1955, Greystone was sold to a man named Paul Trousdale. And from there to a man named Henry Crown, who also owned the Empire State Building at the time. And in 1965, the city of Beverly Hills bought the land from Crown because he was going to tear it down and turn it into 
little houses. <laughs> Beverly Hills got it and they installed a 19 million gallon water tank and turned it into Beverly Hills' largest reservoir. Ah. From 1969 to 1982, the American Film Institute was headquartered there at a yearly rent of $1. In 1971, the grounds were made a public park mm-hmm. and in 1976, it was added to the National Registry of Historic Places. The park's open to the public, but the house is used for special events, but you could book a tour of it. Most notably, it's used to film a lot of movies. It was in Spider-Man, Big Lebowski, Ghostbusters, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, Sweet Charlotte, <laughs> The House of the Damned, Austin Powers Gold Member, oh. to name a few of them. The main staircase has been called the most film staircase in the world. Here's the weird thing. They actually filmed There Will Be Blood there. Really? And the bowling alley at the end of the movie yeah. is actually an original part of the house that they like restored it for the movie. Wow. And they filmed it all in there. So every summer they also do a murder mystery show based on the Ned murder case. Now for the haunted part of this. I, I was kind of curious. <laughs> there are many ghost sightings in Greystone. Some of the park rangers have supposedly seen things so disturbing that they quit right on the spot. Others refuse to go into the house during the night shift. People have seen butlers, cooks, and maids wandering around uh, that aren't alive. The most frequently seen ghosts are of a woman who smells of lilac, most likely Lucy's ghost, and that of a man in suit and hat standing in front of the murder room, which is very creepy. Here's There Will Be Blood. On one occasion, an artist had pictures hung up on the wall inside the murder room as part of an exhibition. So he took them down and he was starting to seal up the holes that his nails had made in the wall. And then he noticed some blood on his hands. And when he looked up, there was blood oozing out of all of the holes that he had made in the wall <laughs> with the nails. And a more frequent occurrence has been like, they'll be in that room, they'll see a puddle of blood on the floor, and then they'll look back on it and it'll fade away. The ghost of the puddle of blood. I love that band. <laughs> so nobody will ever know what exactly happened that night, but the official story certainly is not true. <laughs> and that's that one. That's uh, more than I ever knew about Doheny, really. All you'll ever need to know. A murdering teapot. That's the Beauty and the Beast sequel. Beauty and the Beast, the teapot dome scandal. <laughs> Lumiere's Great Escape. I'm going to be talking about Galster Park in West Covina now. You ready for it? It's kind of sc- Yeah, yeah. It's kind of scary. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's scary. Galster Park, like Ooh. I said, is in West Covina, which is about 20 miles east of Los Angeles, but it's still in Los Angeles. It's off the 10 or the 210, depending on how much traffic you like to sit in. You could find it at 1620 Aroma Drive, which is off the Azusa exit of the 10 freeway. I first heard about Galster Park on a car ride about three years ago. As usual, I steered the conversation towards like eh, murder, hauntings, parks. And someone in the car brought up, oh yeah, there's this park. They didn't know the name of the park. They're like, oh yeah, there's this park in West Covina that's haunted. Pulled the car over and I said, let's hear more. Put your club on, throw the keys out the window. (laughs) Tell me. Let's paint a picture. Okay. Galster Wilderness Park is in the San Jose Hills area of Los Angeles, which runs along the Puente Hills. Galster Wilderness Park is one of the last remaining large woodlands of the unique Southern California black walnut tree. Everybody's favorite export from Southern California, the black walnut. They also have something called the lemonade berry. I know. That's what it's made out of. (laughs) When life gives you lemons, go to a lemon berry shrub and kill yourself. Uh, the Shumash Indians, you remember that tribe that lived off the coast from Malibu? No! no! People. They lived off the coast uh, between Malibu and Santa Barbara. They didn't get a much attention last mm-hmm. episode. Nor should they. They used the walnuts from those trees, the black walnut trees, really often in a lot of things they did. Anyways, those trees are, are really spooky looking. They grow like spastically in a lot of directions and they're really big. The trunks are big. The bark is dark. 
Repeat the bark is dark. <laughs> as well as being a beautiful lush forest for hiking, and there are several trails for that, it's also covered in graffiti and littered with trash. Mm. When looking up haunted history and I'm ghost... I'm sure the Shumash love that. <laughs> Single tear. Mm. When looking up haunted history and ghost stories, I was stricken with how many posts there were about gang activity that went on, as well as rumors that members of the KKK frequented the park as well. Are you sure you weren't reading my thing? Oh, boy. Lots of forum postings, which you really have to, like I said, take with a grain of salt all of this forum post reading but enough people have mentioned it for me to consider that the KKK and local West Covina gangs share the same park it's good to see them getting along <laughs> yeah reading forum posts I mean like it, as awful as they are and I hate misspellings like books about LA hauntings are just as kind yeah, of corny just because it's printed on paper it doesn't, doesn't make it less corny <laughs> uh, get with the times people here's the something, country's changing here's something I read online that like I burst out in laughter someone posted this I've actually been to Gouster Park in Covina the first time nothing the second time nothing third time i don't want to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) that's nice of them to share (laughs) nothing nothing and nothing the park is located with three entrances which is going to come into play anyways back to the car ride the person like i said didn't know the name of the park only that it was in west covina but this is what they told me the person told me that there was a man who lived in a shack on the grounds who would abduct, rape, and kill children in the Elster Park who wandered away from the trails. And if you go to the park at night and sit on a bench and close your eyes, you could hear a voice of a child whisper, help me, into your ear. (laughs) After that, you can hear faint screams come from the thicker part of the terrain as well as panicked footsteps. There is a shack on the grounds, and it lights. But it's a radio shack. It's a radio shack. Just as scary. There's only one left, and you got to go to Galster Park. you got to fight off the old rape man. Yeah, and from that shack, you could see lights flickering on and off. So the person told me, was like, yeah, that's neat, right? And then my eyes were watering. (laughs) My eyes were watering. I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. (laughs) And then you looked at him, and it was the old man. (laughs) Isn't it neat? When I began looking into Galster Park, there was indeed a lot of rumors to the same effect. A lot of people saying it had been closed off because children had been raped and murdered there. People have seen a pathway leading to the house of the murderer. They say that they see children hanging from the black walnut trees. Oh, God. Yeah, a lot of reports that the man would take the children and rape and beat them, like physically just beat them, which is a weird thing to add in there, but the word beat them came up a lot for some reason. Yeah, tell us again about the rape. (laughs) Thanks. Any chance you get, you you keep rubbing it in my face that these kids are being raped. Everybody brings it up. It made it more real that I heard it in person first and I went online like, it is real. (laughs) If you go there later at night, you're, yeah, a lot of people saying you can hear uh, screams, you can hear pleas of for children they see apparitions there like a a boy wearing a sweater with a massive scar on his face has been seen standing by the entrance of the first and second gate like i said it has three entrances he has been seen inviting people into the park telling them to come in and see what is inside the boy has been seen at different ages once as a child and once as an adolescent Hmm? yeah ghosts can age uh what happened in star wars Maybe George Lucas made a special edition of this ghost. <laughs> He's too old. Make him younger. Can he do some sort of a Macarena or something? <laughs> yeah, people walking around will see ropes and nooses hung from trees, lights flickering. Talking about what is referred to as the Galster Park Butcher is what they call the man. man with mental issues used to live in an actual shack that resides in the park. Another famous spirit that you'll see at Galster Park resides at the Water Tower there. Supposedly a man in his mid-30s was suppressed over the loss of his wife, and he jumped off the tower and killed himself. Peg and whistle. <laughs> it was a giant water tower shaped like an H. Yeah, people who wander off and end up isolated tend to feel eyes watching them. There's a strange energy in certain parts of the park. In particular, I believe the south side, there's a four-way crossing of the trails. And in that particular area, people always feel like like there's eyes on them all over the place. Like There's a bad vibe that you're being watched. Uh, it, but if you want to learn how to play the blues really well, <laughs> go down there and sell your soul. 
The devil's there, but he's, he just wants he just wants to play guitar. Anyone want to jam <laughs> with Satan? <laughs> <laughs> Jamming with Satan. I couldn't find anything like police reports or anything, any old articles about a butcher or abductions of children or anything like that. So it's kind of hard to substantiate. Yeah, the man's, men cover that stuff up all the time. They don't want you to know about the truth, you know? The butcher's out there. I read somewhere that the old shack was really just a tool shed for the groundskeeper. And uh, one day, many people in the park reported an awful smell coming from it. The groundskeeper and a groundskeeper. Groundskeeper. Uh, he's a murderer. The groundskeeper and a cop approached the shack really slowly. And they opened it, and there was blood splatter of an animal who killed another animal in there. <laughs> That's the shack that everybody's really scared of. Uh, here's something interesting, though. It is how it end. Last June, they found a man hanging in the park on the south end of Galster Park. So it was suicide. Uh, so if it wasn't haunted before, it's haunted now. Get <laughs> Scalster Park. Let's go right now. I guess we're ending on parks. I have another park, and it actually there's a lot of parallels here. It seems Good. so. I, I think these are because uh, it's also a kind of kind of similar area, Los Angeles. It's a pretty tight knit community, you know. Even if there's no proof to back up a lot of these rumors, it seems like they're consistent enough to be like local legends yeah, yeah. Uh, so i guess you could read into this somehow we're afraid of water towers i guess <laughs> as you'll see the animaniacs can burst out of those at any minute i'm going to talk about a different place okay a little bit further south I was hoping you wouldn't talk about the same place glaster park <laughs> turnbull canyon please tell me more because i kept coming across that phrase yeah. i'm like don't read it Look away, look, look away. away. Uh, so this place had so many rumors and urban legends about it and so little actual proof, but the yeah. people in the area swear by them, true or not. Okay. So the early days, Turnbull Canyon, what is now Whittier, mm-hmm. was called by the Keech Hotugna. Okay. Or Hotugna. I thought we were done mismangling names. I got so much mismangling in me. <laughs> this name can mean the dark place or the place of the devil. Wow. Really? So supposedly it was off limits to the Keech people as it was a tragic area where native wars had been fought. Lives were lost. Some people claim to still hear war drums beating in there. Mm-hmm. Later on, it is said that the Spanish would sometimes execute members of the Keech tribe in there. Most likely true. <laughs> Recorded history does tell us, though, that in 1845, Turnbull and the surrounding area were deeded to a couple of men named William Workman and John Rowland. Mm -hmm. Do those names sound familiar? No. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) To Mm -hmm. anybody but me, unless you're listening to all of our episodes as part of a Christmas marathon, like (laughs) I am right now. So William Workman was the same Workman who bought Mission San Gabriel from Pio Pico in 1846. An even deeper connection that we missed last month, he's the same Workman that owned the Temple and Workman Bank that Tiburcio Vasquez has sent Repetto's (laughs) nephew, whose ranch, by the way, was right next to Mission San Gabriel, to empty his account. It's also the bank that eventually turned into Security Pacific National Bank, which Stanley Rifkin later robbed. Wow. Yeah. That is a bold connection. That's a deep connection. That's haunted. Uh, it's not haunted by ghosts. It's haunted by the memory of misery. It's haunted by references. <laughs> later on in life, Workman eventually lost his share of the land and most of his business, and he ended up shooting himself in the head at age 76, which seems to be a theme of mine tonight. <laughs> and then there was Rowland. So I'm not, I'm sure he's connected somewhere. But he was not well-connected amongst the Keech, who hated him. His land was raided many times by them. Supposedly, to escape the raids, he moved his family into underground tunnels like a lizard person. Wow. And these tunnels are now also said to be haunted. The next big rumor comes from the Depression yet again. Mm. So during this time, many families 
this is this similar to your sort of thing, but without the rape. During this, many families it was around... consensual. There's a lot of sex, but it's not rape. It was statutory, but... Many families around this time had to give up their kids for adoption. So if you were looking to adopt a kid, for whatever reason it appears, you were in luck during the Depression. Oh so some sort of cult is said to have formed that would adopt these children out of the orphanages, and they would keep them in a barn somewhere in Turnbull Canyon. And then when the time was right, the members of the cult would then kill the kids on top of the hilltops of the canyon as human sacrifices. Wow. I don't know to who. Maybe to Roosevelt? <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, the cult moved away from adoption, and they started sacrificing runaways that they would come across and then they moved on to going out and kidnapping kids from their homes for their sacrifices. So nowadays the only remnants of this are that people often claim to see people in hooded robes walking through the canyon at night and ghost children are seen everywhere frequently. So around this time there was also said to have been an insane asylum in the canyon that was in operation during the 30s but it burned down in the 40s but then in 1962 a popular story says that a teen, they're having a go-go party Mm -hmm. in the ruins, this teen picked up one of the old electroshock machines that I guess was still filled with some juice juice some juice <laughs> it was still filled with some juice and it killed him with the electricity really? that was still in it I found no records of any of this no. or such a place ever existing so other rumors inside the canyon alien sightings Nazi sightings the ghost of hanged men swinging from trees a colony of little people that supposedly took up residence in there KKK meetings taking place by the old water tower oh boy a gra- there's a gravity hill in there somewhere they say that the founder of the church of Satan Anton LaVey owned property in there as well like I said there's many rumors very few facts <laughs> so many people swear by them many deny them one police officer said that the only supernatural type thing he's ever found in there was a bowl with some blood and chicken feet in it oh. it was some sort of like santeria thing or hungry people thing <laughs> the actual factual incidents that have happened here over the years are just as scary though april 18th 1952 a north continental airlines flight from new york to burbank got diverted to lax due to low visibility when they were near turnbull canyon they weren't able to see very well they lowered their landing gear it hit one of the hilltops and it sent the plane careening into another hillside and it exploded all 29 people on board were killed Bodies are regularly dumped in the canyon. A 15-year-old boy got pulled into a car one night and got stabbed and thrown into this canyon. He managed to crawl out, but he died a few days later. One guy got his owls... One guy, one guy got his eyes in there. <laughs> one guy got his eyes gouged out before being killed in there. In the '90s, there were a few incidents of gang members executing rival gang members in there. In 2007, three men shot a 17-year-old girl named Gloria Glaxiola in the head just outside Turnbull and then tied her up to their car and dragged her five miles through the canyon into Hacienda Heights. But uh, here's a weird... Gloria was a member of the Agape Christian Center. Her brother was a pastor who then went on a crusade into Turnbull Canyon afterwards to cleanse the place from evil. The rumor here was that the three men who killed her were occultists and they were trying to convert her. So remember that there's three people because it'll come up again in 2005 a CHP officer a chip he was killed by a drunk driver in there not too scary but still dead people yeah dead people in 2007 a burnt corpse was found after a wildfire Jesus 2009 a 22-year-old woman was in a car with three guys yet again one of the guys behind her slashed her throat they jammed syringes into the sides of her neck and then stabbed her in the back of the neck then they pushed her into the canyon out of the car hit her with a rock left her for dead and she was still alive she managed to make it to a house and call 911 and then they caught the three men who were going on their way back over there with shovels to bury her 
So in 2011, a man was stabbed in the face and the neck again in there. And also in that same year, the body of a woman was found shot in the head and one of her arms were chopped off. So there's really weird things that goes on in this canyon. That's brutal. And I have no, I don't know what it's connected to. Hail Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Crime is lower in there than it was. uh, It's lower there these days. (laughs) You're lucky that they're only chopping off her arm. Because there's extra paroles that are in there. Uh, the paroles? Pla- pa- patrols. Not paroles, probably. Paroles. Breach of paroles. <laughs> so even if this place isn't actually haunted, I'm not going there. <laughs> That's terrifying. The most terrifying thing of all the stuff we read was that police reports. Police reports. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh, I'm going to talk about real, real quick. There's something related to Galster Park and Turnbull Canyon. I couldn't find too much information. It was called Zelda's Tunnel. The story, which is I've only found like a like a copy and pasted version of the same thing from I think Shadowlands, which is like a ghost directory or not a a ghost story game. directory. Ghost directory. A ghost the directory. ghost yellow pages. The white pages because they're ghosts. Because <laughs> they're ghosts. <laughs> Dead rectory. Uh, no, I don't really get that one. Directory. Oh, 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 there we go. That's it. Still don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Apparently, there's a tunnel, I believe, at Caller Russell Park which is in Covina. This girl in the 1900s, she was about 16, got um, kidnapped by these cult members and taken to the end of this tunnel and sacrificed. And now uh, if you manage to make it to the end of the tunnel, her spirit is there to sacrifice you to the same cult. God. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's so strange that in the same... Pretty same much the area. same areas. There's they have similar stories of cult of, of cults and sacrifices and women getting uh, murdered, stabbed in the, yes, the stabbed neck. In the, Jesus Christ! Yeah. Cut her arm off. Not no, that's a different. No, that's, that's a different, different girl. <laughs> that's not no, even. No, that's the a same separate girl. incident. <laughs> it's so horrible. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and to all. Oh God, this always ruins this time doing the research for this. Oh yeah, <laughs> ruins no, this I, time of year no, for me. No, I, I don't want to. I click close up the chimney. We just reenacted Black Christmas. I don't know how to end now. I, I'm still kind of in shock about what I just said, which I had been reading yeah. over and over for days. Now. I was like, ah, oh, he's a namsy pamsy. He, he's probably uh, <laughs> reading about a sound and like, oh, scary. No, you you were you were tracking down police reports. Of- <laughs> One time a leaf rustled against my window late at night. <laughs> this city's haunted. This city is cursed. <laughs> How do we tie this up? How do we tie this up and drag it along? The For car? five miles. For five miles. Oh. Into Hacienda Heights. God, that's the worst part. They went to Hacienda Heights. <laughs> that's the true horror. <laughs> we did a, another uh, great creepy Christmas. Let's not jump to judgments of <laughs> how this sounds. I enjoyed my I enjoyed your stories for sure. I enjoyed my stories as well. Greg has been every three seconds looking at the door of the room that we're in and freaking me out and he won't stop. There's, there's just something. Stop looking at it. <laughs> there's a circular shape in the door that says don't bring any food or drinks in and it looks like a head and it, I, like in my periphery vision I keep seeing a little circle against the door and Charlie he, Brown is here to haunt <laughs> us hey don't look at it okay I know that in your periphery vision that you think someone's staring at you but don't look at it this is the time of the year where we always remind people uh, go to your local shelter to use their computers and leave us a review on iTunes mm-hmm. like us on Facebook Twitter at LA Meekly Tumblr uh, follow. Remember, it's LA Meekly, not Weekly. It's a different thing. That's a, where all our followers must a, have gone. It's a different thing. Pay attention, guys. Yeah, I know why. M's and W's are really close, but come on. <laughs> that's why we only have 40-something likes and they have <laughs> 8 million. That's the only reason. 
They got confused. We have very stupid listeners. Let's not forget that. You remember that? You got all that? This isn't on, is it? Hey, thanks for listening. I hope that your Christmas, I hope your Hanukkah goes well. Either way, whatever you celebrate. If you don't celebrate anything, I hope you have a nice Thursday <laughs> in December. Yeah, just don't go in the parks. So. Yeah, don't. please don't go to Turnbull Canyon. And don't look for lizard people. No. Don't try to claim any corpses. The shack is just a tool shed. Don't go. Full of dead animals. Yeah, don't move your loved ones into Linda Vista Hospital. They will see uh, orderly, and they might have to tip them. And... And we, don't, we can't have that, especially on Christmas. And do not get married at Greystone Mansion. You might step in some blood. Every December, the county morgue has a funeral for the unclaimed bodies. I suggest you go. It's a really nice thing. Um, make sure you stand close to the priest or you're going to have to wait two days before you could figure out what you went to. So remember, always stand close to a priest. <laughs> this has been L.A. Meekly. Free Plunkett since... We couldn't pronounce it. <laughs> so we paid a robot. <laughs>